Welcome to episode 77 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lex Town, Josh Hopkins. What up, Josh? What's happening, Rex Everett? I'm hanging. I'm in Brooklyn. Where are you? I'm in Lexington, visiting In Lexington, Mama. Kentucky. Yeah, okay. Yeah. How's mom? Yeah. Doing okay? She is. She's doing really well. Good. Um, How's my mom? She's doing great, too. Great. She's Thank so you. Tell her I, I love that. it when they, they come over and visit. Uh, it's so great. They, yeah. they, they like each other so much. It's it's great. It is. It's fun. Um, episode 77, Josh. Uh, we're getting up there. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite teammates ever, number 77. We called him Gitsa, which me apparently we were told meant little man in Romanian. Uh, George Murasan, number 77, yeah. seven yeah. feet, seven inches tall. Yeah. Wow. We, we, when we got George, he was still growing and, uh, they had to, they did a, uh, finally did a, sur- did surgery on his pituitary gland to stop him from growing. But how about that? And his mom and dad were five, four and five, one. What is that like to be in a, a league of pituitary issues? And then this guy <laughs> shows up yeah, where it's crazy. everybody that, you know, where people look tiny, giants look tiny. You know, Shaq was the one guy in the league that, you know, he just dwarfed everyone with his athleticism, but his size, you know, he's big, he's big, like Joel Embiid is big. He's just big, a large human. Um, George, big George didn't, big George was so slow, but in a half court, he was one guy, the one guy maybe that Shaq played against that you could take a chance on not double teaming from time to time because George was just so big. And if he stayed down on Shaq and pushed him out far enough, he could do a decent job. Uh, And that's saying something because Shaq was a different, different kind (laughs) of specimen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Uh, Luca at 77. Yep. Yep. And uh, rest in peace, Lyle Alzado. Lyle Alzado. Ray Bork. Yeah. Ray Ray Bork. Yeah. Um, good, good number 77. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see what else LeBron hurt, uh, going to be out for at least three weeks. Yeah. Terrible timing, huh? That's terrible timing. I think you, I think you, uh, can mark them off. I'm not, I'm not buying anymore. KD played his first game for my Phoenix Suns last night, um, or a couple nights ago. And, uh, I'm anxious to see more. Yeah, uh, it'll exactly. be fun watching the Suns down the stretch. Exactly. Josh, the Mavs, the Mavs not doing great. The Mavs struggling. They gave yeah. up. Poof. They've given up some leads. And, yeah, it'll yeah. be. It, yeah. it will be interesting. Um, Did you uh, read anything this week? Oh yeah. Um, no, I didn't read anything. Oh well, me neither. Sorry, you did. Okay, that's been book club. Nope. Um, Josh, we have great guests. I said that right. Guests, plural. We have Ooh. great guests today. Yes, we have twins are joining the show. We have stand-up comedians, actors, and co-hosts of View from the Cheap Seats podcast. Mm-hmm. Guess who we have? We have Farrell Randall Sklar and Jason Nathan Sklar, the Sklar brothers. What's yeah. happening, dudes? How are you? Thanks for having us. Oh, this is awesome. So Love awesome. It. 
Love it. I was just, I, I'm trying to think the first time I would have seen you guys. It seems like I've, well, it seems like you've been around forever. Like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. what was, what was your first experience with uh, um, on, on television or behind the camera at all? Jay first, I mean, our first TV, th- was it Louis Anderson's standup no. show? Nope. No. That came after MTV. Okay. So that, I, it's think- MTV, right? No, so we had a show in 1997 on MTV called Apartment 2F, and it was kind of like right in that sweet spot when they were doing the 10 spot. It was like us and Austin stories and singled out. And I mean, it was smack dab in the middle of the 90s is when we were doing our thing. And it was great. It was all like the chains on your pants and just the long sideburns. <laughs> Terrible. Like someday I'll make fun of this mustache I have right now. But back then we thought we looked cool. I mean, we all just wanted to be the Beastie Boys. That was it. Yes, exactly. Uh, what are you guys' first memories of of being funny? Uh, but, you know, also being funny together. Yeah. Um, we, so as twins and, and certainly as, you know, back in the days before fertility drugs, it was a rare occurrence yeah. that you would have twins. So immediately people would, we'd have attention on us. I just remember always trying to be funny once the attention was on us. Our dad was a funny guy. He would, our he dad would, was the kind of guy, he was the kind of guy who he would take us on his errands with him. We'd be in the backseat of his giant Monte Carlo with the freaking two door. Like, the like why, why he got a two door for a family. It just tells you all you need to know about the guy. You're like, what are you doing, dad? Like a two door. So every time we have to get in your car, you got to open this humongous door and then fold the seat up that never actually flipped and then climb in the back. Like we're, I mean, it was, you might as well got a Trans Am with a T-top and add us like climbing through the roof. It was so, so, he, so he would put us in the car. We'd be in the car while the car was running. Like, hello, pedophiles, just pull on up and grab two twins at this, right. <laughs> at this running he, car. And he'd go into like the cleaners and we'd look through the front window and he'd be interacting with whoever he was interacting with. And he would, within like 30 seconds, the person would be smiling or laughing. And we, wow. we kind of like absorbed that and saw that as like, oh, that's really cool. Like, I think we got it a little bit without fully getting it, you know? And then when we were in school, we were trying, we funny, but not to the point of like being class clowns and getting in trouble. Although the one time I really did get in trouble, we had, I had the worst home economics teacher. I mean, she was awful. She was just a mean person who should not have been teaching. Like now as an adult, I can like actually have some perspective and be like, you know, this woman shouldn't have been teaching. It just wasn't her thing. She didn't like kids. She didn't like being around people. And, you know, home economics for a lot of people, they didn't know how to cook. They don't know how to sew. They don't. And these are like seventh graders. Like we don't understand this stuff. You might understand it, but we don't. And she just didn't have the ability to teach. She was a mean person. So on Halloween that year, she comes to school dressed like she's got like an ape, a very realistic, like ape mask on i mean very real scary ape mask on and she's wearing it the whole time and i guess three quarters into the class it's hot she's like trying to teach the class with this thing on she took the mask off and the second she took it off i screamed now (laughs) that (laughs) that was a great bit For a 13-year-old, not bad. Wow. Not a bad joke. I mean, she took it off and I screamed. 
And I, of course, got sent to the principal's <laughs> office and we called our dad. And he was like that. He's like, did it get laughs? I'm on the phone in the principal's office and he and he, I'm the only one who can hear me. He's like, did it get laughs? And I was like, uh-huh. He's like, all right, I'll see you at home later. That was it. <laughs> So he wasn't mad because, you know, we're not that wasn't our thing was to like disrupt class. We were good students and we worked hard. But like those moments, I think we kind of got like a little push in that direction, whether he knew it or not. I don't think he ever knew. Like no one ever knew in our family. We didn't come from a family of entertainers, you know, vaudevillian performers. It was just like, yeah, this is just what you do. You just are, are trying to entertain people in a fun way. The people that are in our circle. Man, that's just amazing. So you did make good grades. Did you have to work at making good grades or did it come pretty naturally? We, I think we had to work at it. I think we had to work at, we, you know, we were, if I'll make a basketball analogy, we were probably like. Basketball, what's that? Well, let me get into it. To, to explain. <laughs> we were like decent ability guys who like high achieving guys, meaning like we knew that if we outworked everyone around us, we could be double, double guys, you know, and that's what we became. We were probably like seven, seven, six guys who pushed our way up to be like 14, 10 guys. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And that's what we were. And it, and I think that came from hard work. And then that did translate. We played sports too. We played baseball was our big sport, but soccer and baseball in St. Louis. And again, same deal. We just like outworked. We'd be in the front yard throwing a ball back and forth for like three hours a day in the afternoon. Did your dad play sports? Where did it, uh, why'd you play sports? So you our just, dad was a, yeah, he was a, he, he, it was funny because our dad was like an overweight guy. He was like a fun, fat guy, but like he was a great athlete. Like he played tennis <laughs> and he could bowl and he like, he was like a good dancer. Like he had like, it. He has like light on his feet, you know, like he almost could have been like an offensive lineman who had like, you know, just good footwork light on his feet, like a dancing <laughs> yeah. bear. So he's about like five, eight, two forty or two, you know, two fifty. So like the big guy, but at the same time, love sports and then played a little bit and played golf and whatnot. So like he, we loved it. And because there were two of us, it was so easy. Like we would just be like, okay, we're going up to the junior high school to play tennis. And you had someone to play with who was about your ability. It's better than hitting against a wall because it's, it's forcing you to get better. So we had each other to throw baseball around with. We had each other to play tennis with, we go out and play golf and stuff like that. So those, those things, he encouraged us to do that stuff, which was like, go get outside go do that stuff, spend the whole day doing that stuff. And, and we loved it. And we had a bunch of neighborhood kids too, that would play a bunch of sports. So there'd be like a football game on the corner and just come out of our house. And we'd be in there. My favorite is like, our mom was so cool about not like harsh, like not like ruining our experience. And she, but it doesn't matter. Like, this is how dumb kids are. Like our mom would be in the gentlest way, come outside and not even single us out by a name, like come outside and two doors down, we'd be playing in some massive like neighborhood football game. And she would just come out at like six o'clock and she'd be like, okay, dinner. And we would turn to our friends and be like, oh my God, she's all over us. What is she doing? (laughs) God, God, you're not a mother. You're a smother. We're like, Jesus Christ. Because we just want to play until you couldn't play anymore. Until you could barely see each other. We're like, yeah, that was, it was, you know, St. Louis, Missouri. That was kind of what we had at that point. And it was wonderful. And I think our dad loved that because he played sports. And again, even though he couldn't really do, do it at that sort of a level, he liked that we did. He coached all of our teams too. He loved that. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, I hate being like the old because I think we're all around the same age and being yeah. that guy. But remember going outside, yeah, and oh having God. neighbors and you knew them and you all mm-hmm. played stuff. I mean, and, was, and yeah, and you know, all right, that's the end zone. The end of his driveway is the end zone. Mm-hmm. Right. The end of your driveway is the other end zone. Let's go. That's it. Mm-hmm. Can I tell and you? Watch the out be- for the pinto. Okay, so can I tell you one of my favorite sports moments of all time of like my career of neighborhood sports? So we had this game. We would st- we would we would throw a tennis ball, and then with like a it wasn't a wooden bat, Jay. What was it? It was it was or maybe it was like a wooden bat or maybe it was an aluminum bat. We would hit it, and it was like you're playing home run derby. So if you hit it across out the yard across the street into the other yard, it was considered a home run. If you miss hit it, it's not a home run. <laughs> And I remember one time it's like we needed one home run to beat the other team and I hit it and it looks like it's going to just bounce in the middle of the street. And all of a sudden the newspaper truck, which was basically like a Bronco with a back on it, drives by it, hits the top of the Bronco and goes into the yard. And we're like, yeah, that's it. Like the ultimate neighborhood rules. We like, Why don't we have this on tape? Why don't we have yeah. an instant replay? We need like ESPN announcers calling this. Like that's what we need. It, it's so funny exactly. because because Rex has all these you know uh, basketball players and sports figures on, and they're like, "Oh yeah, game three. It was uh, ninety seven. <laughs> we were down two. We we're coming down. I was on the left side. Yeah, and <laughs> us three, we're like, yeah, hit it, and it bounced. Newspaper truck, truck all across yeah. the yard. <laughs> I, I remember some great, you know, tackle football games in the yep. churchyard, you know. Oh my Stiff god. Arm on on uh, Pat Elkin and yep. was, no gone. one, no one. Gone <laughs> to the house, to the house, baby. Yes. So fun. Yes. I grew up with uh my best friends from I think I told you when I came on your guys' pod, my best friends from age eight, uh twins. And they hilarious, mm-hmm. uh, not not entertainers, uh, funny to us. Of course. Right. Um, right. <laughs> right. Funny around you guys. Hilarious yeah. to us. Uh-huh. Um, they fought, though. They would fight. Uh, did you guys fight growing up? Oh, we my did. God. We were yes. the worst. Like, no, we were the worst if we were on the same team. It was worse Ooh. than if we were against each other. Like, yeah. the worst. Because, like, other people would stop playing if we were on the same team with each other. Because we were so... You know how hard you are on yourself, Rex. You know, and I know you know. And I, we've talked to you about your life. The, the, you know, the, stan- the standard with which you hold yourself. Now, imagine you now share DNA with someone. You feel like it is your right. Even though that's another human being out in the world and people see you as two people, you're like, no, 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 that's an extension of me. So however, whatever standard I hold myself to, I can now go after that person over there for screwing up a shot and all that other stuff in a way that you would never talk to anybody. So I remember, I remember a baseball game where high school baseball game, I was in center field. Randy was pitching and he walked a guy who then stole second and he's now like three and oh on the next guy and he walks him then another. And so runners on first and second, another guy comes up, he throws a ball and I'm, now I'm chirping. I'm like, you got to throw strikes. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're letting down the whole team. And I'm idiot, going, idiot. idiot. He's like what screaming. This is the worst. You're the worst. Like from center field. So much so that the guy from the other team was on second base, turns around and is like, give him a break. Relax on him. Yeah. The other now team. The other team's trying to talk me off the ledge. 
Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So we would do that, that we'd fight. Yeah. We'd get a lot of stuff out because we did, we didn't love fighting in life. Yeah. We fought, we fought it. Anytime we fought, it would be fast and it would be done. And we'd be yeah. like, okay, move on. You got to move on, like settle it and move on because I don't know if you're this way. I just don't love hang that any yeah. hanging stuff over your head just feels like yeah, we never I, held grudges. We never held grudges, but we would like it was almost like an ex- expenditure of energy, you know, like yeah, when you, yeah, you gotta get it out. It's funny because I, I think a lot of people didn't understand how like Jordan Poole and Draymond Green could be around each other, like after <laughs> what happened, because we got an insight into like a very dark moment of their thing. But as brothers, Randy and yeah. I actually understood, we're like, oh, yeah, they they were in the heat of the moment and <laughs> they just literally saw nothing in front of them except I need to expend this energy on this person. And then it was over and then they're fine. But the rest of the world is like, whoa, we need to recover. But we understood that from our own history of how we related to each other. It was weird. I, so I, was I know you, you guys have been yeah. on screen and on shows and yeah. on so much stuff. And I always try and explain to people, it's like hearing yourself on the uh, answering machine times a hundred. Yeah. And because you're, I mean, I'm always like, what didn't people tell me I'd walk like that? I'd walk, <laughs> why did I say that? I don't have yeah. friends, you know, I need to go get plastic surgery immediately. When mm-hmm. you have a twin, are you ever like growing up? Like, do I do that? Like, yeah. He does it? Like, yeah. that's a weird way to jump off that. Yeah. I wouldn't jump off. It gives you a mirror to see like, but, but it also at the same token, I have to give our parents credit because they're like, you guys are different people. You guys are different people. So they taught us how, and I don't even know how they did it because, you know, I mean, babe is even by accident. I don't know that they knew this was like a, it may be unintentional, but they were, they were smart about the way they raised us. So you didn't dress alike. Did not dress alike at all. They're like, we don't want you to be. This twins in- did when I was growing up. They dressed yeah, alike, yeah. like they, in grade school and middle like school. They, even, I sailor outfits. No, our, our, par- <laughs> our parents were like, no, we don't want you to dress alike. We know that you're two separate people. You guys should be able to rely on each other, but not be dependent on each other, which is a very. That's smart. It's smart. And, and it's very subtle. The difference between those two things rely on each other, but don't depend on each like you don't be dependent on each other depend but not be dependent meaning it can't just be the two of you you got to find friends you got to do other things we're going to put the, thankfully the schools put us in separate classes because early on when we were babies we would keep each other up if one was crying the other one would be up they put us in separate rooms which wound up being a stroke of genius because now you can be a also you've person. also you've always had that mustache. So right. when I was three, I had a great stash. That'd be great. Three year old with the mustache. Um, <laughs> no, but I do think that we just it it actually that whole thing I think allowed us to do what we do today. And now our families have kind of substituted that. So in your our families, we're not like the Sklar brothers, although our kids kind of dig it. They actually really enjoy the stuff that we do. But they also are kind of like, no, 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 you're dad. You're the dad who forgot to put the thing in my lunch. Oh, way to, way to go, dad. You were supposed to be here at 418 to pick me up. And even though I just texted you three minutes ago and you live 20 minutes away, like the, you sort of like, and that has nothing to do with twins, has nothing to do with the other. So it's good because then that allows us to get together and go out on the road and do comedy. And when we, you know, worked on a, just did this show for the UFC, the nosebleeds, which was basically cheap seats, but for the UFC, 
working on that is like a dream. It's a gift. It's, it's, it's time away from the other stuff, which again, I think our parents taught us that at an early age, you have your time individually and then you come together and it becomes a little bit more special. Yep. It's so different that you guys, like, if you went to the mall, remember mall, if you went to the mall and you're together, people are all over you. If you go alone, is it just a complete, because I've never seen one of you on a show without, you know, like you are, (laughs) you are, you're one to me in a lot of ways, you know, when you go alone, do people not recognize you? Because if you go together, everybody will. No, no, they do. They Go do ahead, recognize us individually. It's kind of cool. Do. I mean, I think we're just that is cool. specific looking, but like, it is kind of cool. And, you know, <clears throat> we never set out to be famous. That wasn't our goal. <laughs> our goal was, in fact, we have friends who have gotten to be tremendously famous and they hate it. Yeah. Um, it really, it really alters their lives and they're not, they can't do simple things, you know, like and, Josh. It's like yeah. Josh. Josh is so famous. It's I mean, like, you oh, can't do this on Zoom. He's not it's allowed tough. to tell us what yeah. location. Josh, yeah. you can't yeah. go to Biscuitville. Isn't Biscuitville a place nearby? <laughs> do you know what Biscuitville is, or is that only in the Deep South? Do you I know think that's uh-huh. probably only the Deep South. Only the Deep South. Yeah. That might but be. tell me, Bo more. Jangle is Bojangles. Bojangles. Oh, okay, yeah, Bojangles. Yeah, Bojangles. Oh, Bojangles and Biscuit. Bojangles. Uh, right? You go to a Bojangles and forget it. Shut it down. Yeah. Right. Go to a Waffle House. You go to Waffle House understand. and people are like, I know you and I want to fight you. No, um, they're throwing chairs at you over the, over the kitchen. Wait, why do they have an open concept kitchen at Waffle House? Those people are not protected enough. Just All right, anyway. keep them away. It doesn't have to be wide open. So, so no, what's really cool is that I, you know, we, again, we live in our families and we're in our, we're in our lives. And, you know, when you're in your family, you're like the out of a family of four people. If you're the dad, you're like the fourth most important person in your house. Like your opinion matters, yeah. not at all. So like life. when you, when you go to a movie set and you look, there's like a call sheet of like when the actors get there and you look up at whoever's number one is like the most important person or the reason why this show is getting made. If you're one and two on the call sheet, like you, you get the biggest trailer, you have everybody's looking you usually have an assistant and all this other stuff we've been on enough movie sets to be like all right that's number one there's number two on the call sheet in your family if you have three two kids and a and a partner you're number four on the call sheet that's just what it is <laughs> you don't you're, matter you're, exactly. so that's why we, we'll show up to the set and some and some like pa will be like hey so do you want breakfast i can go get you a burrito and we're like who the hell are you talking to oh me oh <laughs> us are you talking about us <laughs> Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so, so we we forget about that when we go out into the world, and like every once in a while, someone will be like, "Oh my God, you guys!" Like, or or they'll say to me, like when I'm by myself, I'm not thinking about it, but they're like, "Hey, man, I'm a fan," or "I like this," or "I was a fan of this thing," or "I saw this thing." Doesn't happen all the time, but it happens, you know, once in a while, enough to where it doesn't ruin your life, but enough to where it makes us feel good. It's kind of the the perfect amount. What's weird is sometimes it'll happen. And with my kids and we kind of, you know, we don't make a big deal. My kids, are, I still have a young kid who's nine and she'll be like, who, the, who is that person? Do you know them? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, how do they know you? And I'm like, I don't, it's too hard to explain. They just do. <laughs> you know? My, my kids went through that. The, my older two remembered when I played the yeah. youngers didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be at the mall or wherever and they'd come up, somebody'd come up and say hi. And they'd go, who was that? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't right. know what's going on. How do they um, know you? Yeah. yeah. Like, how do they know? It's so hard for someone who doesn't just understand yeah. all of that to be explained that they've yeah. seen me do this. The thing that I do at work is a public thing that everybody can see and they've seen me do it. And maybe they're a fan yeah. of the things that what I, I liked was our, our older kids would like look at me or their mom and go be like dummies. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they They're like knew. nine. Yeah, if they only knew. They only knew. So, so go, go ahead, ahead, Josh. No, no, no. Well, I just go think ahead. it's so interesting that your first thing that you really did and that brought you out was was the MTV show. Yeah, and that's the mid '90s MTV. There were huge. You know, it huge. was huge, and it was the right audience. It was, um, and to not have done much that had to be night and day like like barely anyone i can imagine just like flipping the switch and you're famous so we were 25 or 24 when we got the pilot and 25 which you know we're right out of school went to the university of michigan crazy. yeah why we, michigan i want to know when did yeah, you ever yeah. think of going somewhere else and Fuck so Michigan, we, also. right? So we applied to four <laughs> to three schools we applied to wisconsin michigan and penn you know i <laughs> Let's go right. Okay, so Penn, we got into all three, and then visited just Michigan and Penn because at the time we're like, look, if we're going to go to a big state school, it's either it's going to be Michigan between Michigan and Wisconsin. Little did we know, years later, Wisconsin is just an unbelievable city. Madison is so cool. the The school itself is amazing, and we would have had a wonderful time at Madison. And and now there's they didn't great- teach you. They you guys didn't hear about Kentucky. All the way we, for eight, we 18 sh- years you had by the way we Kentucky. should have because grew up in st louis it's like right there i mean <laughs> put it this way we traveled and visited paducah kentucky and we still ah, didn't know about about our uh, neck of the woods that's right we still didn't know yeah. about kentucky but like <laughs> you know they so we applied to those schools went to michigan our cousin was there she was a year old a year ahead of us in school but only four months older than us and an only child grew up in LA and she was like a sister to us. Cause we were kind of like an only entity, right. you know? And so we're all kind of like four months apart and she was a really good friend of ours. We loved her and she was at Michigan and we went up and visited her and her friends took us out. We had the best time. She had a friend who was on the baseball team. She had a, like friends at this party and that party. And they took us out and treated us like we went to school there. And we're like, this is fun. These kids are smart. These kids are cool. They care about their work, but at the same time, they're out having a fun time. Then we went to Penn and we met all these really great people, but everyone was stressed out. Like they were like, they worked on wall street and you're like, you guys are in college, man. Like there's time to be stressed out later. They just all seemed like they had a huge, like an anvil of weight on their shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. And just stressed in ways that you're like, I don't know if I want that for the next four years. I'd much rather do the other thing. And Michigan was close to St. Louis. And I think like not to even get more granular, but the, at the time there was like a Northwest Airlines. That's how old, that's yeah, old we yeah. are. Remember Northwest Airlines? There was a yes. Northwest Airlines flight from St. Louis to Detroit, which is where we'd fly. That was like 39 bucks round trip. And we kind of <laughs> said to our parents, like, I, you know, that's, we can get up and down. You guys can get up and visit us. And it's like, we might as well just, Let's give it a take a swing at this and go here. And it was like the best thing we could have ever done because now we're very close and tied into the university years later. My daughter, who's 17, just got in. Wow. She's going Congrats. next year. So the circle completes. That's and huge. that's really cool. Huge. So huge. Jim so, Harbaugh, will, Harbaugh will text us every once in a while asking for a joke. Yeah. 
It's he's great. so funny. He he gives you a lot of material too. He does. So he Harbaugh, does. We went. <laughs> this is the best thing about Harbaugh. This is the best thing about Harbaugh. We went on his podcast. You're so right. And he was like, "Man, I don't get it." He's like, "Whenever I'm trying to be funny, no one laughs, and whenever I'm not trying to be funny, people laugh." And we started laughing. And he was like, "I wasn't. See, trying I wasn't trying funny. to be funny." We're like, "That's funny." <laughs> We're like, we're like, we got to teach you something, man. Yeah, you're it's, a football coach. You're yes. not a comedian. You're Number not comedian, an entertainer. But as com- as comedians, we say, any laugh you get, take it. Sometimes Accept we're on it. stage. Take Sometimes it. we're on stage and we'll make it. We'll be setting up a joke and it'll get a laugh where it's never gotten a laugh before. Do you think we go? Hey, no, no, no. You're doing that wrong, audience. Stop <laughs> laughing. No, we're like, okay, good. Thank good. you. More. Let's go down that road. It's like the shot that Hunter Dickinson made this past week uh, to to send it to overtime. We're like, don't. It's not a last second heave. You practice that shot. I <laughs> intended to do that. We do that every day. If I, I shoot that a hundred times a day, I know well, exactly. You, you know what I mean? Take it. Accept it. into it like lean into that that's your shot and that's your thing and so i mean it's just all in life there's so there's so few victories that when you do get the one just embrace it and love it and so that's what that's what we've sort of learned to do over time and especially with our business which is such a you know you you guys have kind of you know understood it on a certain level too that like the entertainment business is like the it's like athletics high level athletics like only a small number of people get through and do something it's hard to do it on a high level your chances come few and far between so you got to love them when they come so i i kind of stepped on yeah very well put i kind of stepped on josh there um so you're in your Mm mid-20s and you get this opportunity with MTV, how how does it come about? Who do you credit the big break? Um, and how mind blowing was that for you? Did you did you set out to do this? At I mean, at, at what age did you, or at what point at Michigan did you go? You know, we can maybe get into this space. Or yeah, so that's had, that's a great question. We we started doing stand up when we were fourteen. We we actually got holy on shit. Yeah, we got on stage. You know, it's like you think about athletics. It was almost like high school, man. We were we started at 14. We did it at a high school show. We taped it. Friend of ours was in Kansas City. He was 15 doing comedy sports, which is like improv in in Kansas City. And he said, someone just came through here and they're looking for comedians younger than 16 for a TV show. Do you guys have any tape on what you did? We're like, yeah, we just taped this set. And so we sent this tape in, not thinking anything we'd ever hear from them out to L.A., And then we get a phone call at our house like three months later and we're on the like, you know, the phone that has the extended cord from the kitchen that wraps around every room. So we're like, take it into the dining room, into the living room and then back into the den. You're still on the phone. You're still on the phone. And they're like, and there's no speakerphone. So we're both huddled around like the receiver and, and the person's like, Hey, we saw a lot of tapes and hundreds of tapes and yours is one of the 10 that we really liked. And, you know, there's a couple jokes on here that we recognize from like major comedians that you cannot do. So here's what we recommend. <laughs> you know, we're like, obvious, this is like the first time we've ever done stand-up. So yeah. we did some of our favorite bits. And then we wrote some original stuff. They're like, keep the original stuff, do some <laughs> other stuff, go up to your local comedy club and perform. And so we're like, we can't do that. So we call the local comedy club. They're like, how old are you? We said, we're four, 15. I think at the time we were turned yeah. 15. And they're like, yeah, you can't perform here. This is a bar, like goodbye. And so we call them back and we're like, it's not going to work. And we were relieved because we're like, we didn't know yeah. what we were doing. <laughs> they said, oh, hang on a second. And five minutes later, we get a call back from the club and they had spoken to the club and they're like, you're on, on Tuesday. And we 
panicked. That's and then terrifying. We, terrifying. 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 But we didn't fully even understand. So there's like a like the yeah. first time we were asked to guest host Jim Rome's radio show, we had you know, we had, I had been doing Jim Rome is burning his TV show. And I got close with Travis Rogers, who was his uh, producer at the time, along with Jay Stu. And Travis was like, Hey man, Rome's got to get out this, like this Friday. Do you, do you and your brother want to guess host the show? And, you know, our thing was like, yeah, we say yes and answer questions later. So yeah. kind of like in this instance, we said yes, and then we'll worry about it later. And thankfully, we listened to the show, but didn't understand the depth of fandom of that show. Thank God, or else yeah. we would have been so freaked out. We wouldn't have done it. We've been like, right. we can't walk in here. So we walked into there, prepared this deep outline of exactly the way we would do the show if we were doing the show. And yeah, there are definitely people who are like, this sucks. This is the worst piece of garbage I've ever heard. But there were a lot of people who were like, I absolutely love this. And thankfully, we weren't like so in our heads thinking about, you know, you know, the best way you when you play sports, you do stuff. You're not thinking you're just literally just you're moving and doing and reacting. Mm -hmm. That's what we were doing. And it was great. So we kind of were like, let's just do this. Let's just do this. We're four, 15 years old. Let's just do this. And we did the best we could. And we struggled because, you know, doing stand up in front of your high school versus doing stand up in front of adults who have paid to be no, there. It'd be, it'd be like it'd be like going and trying to play in the NBA at 14. Yeah. Like you, you're I, in, you can't be in a professional situation with no experience. It's like well, impossible. I just, Josh knows my son, they're best buddies. Uh, my son's 30 now, but uh, he played ball, played in yeah. front of crowds and whatnot. And then he, when he stopped playing, he pledged a fraternity. And mm -hmm. for, as part of the hazing process, each guy had to do three minutes, a three minute stand up set. Oh my God. Hard. And mm -hmm. I was, by the terrified way, for him, he feels like hours. I mean, it's hours. Yeah. Three minutes, yeah. right? It's like wow. three hours. And so my question to you guys is, I, obviously, it's got to be terrifying at first, even if you're you're funny and you know, <laughs> you're prepared. Um, do you still get nervous um, before, you know, sure. going out and doing that now? I mean, we kind of know that our, you know, for years of doing it, 35 years plus years of doing it. Like, yeah, with 36 years, we know what's going to work and what isn't going to work, but you get nervous that the audience is going to be weird. Maybe they're not your audience. So you're going to have to dig yourself out of something or something weird is going to happen. It's like doing stand-up is like summoning Mount Everest. It can look perfect. Yeah. And then like way off in the distance is like a cloud, which I would describe as <laughs> a bachelorette party, like walks in, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> Here we go. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a perfect <laughs> conditions. And now everybody's going to die, including a guide from New Zealand. You know what I mean? Like his legs are going to be sticking out of the mountain. No, so it's, it's, it's so true. And I would say the, the only time we get nerd, like doing a late night TV set, doing a set of comedy on late night television, it, you only get five minutes. It's like, you kind of don't, there's nowhere to recover. Like if you get out and you're doing an hour long set and the set starts off a little wonky, you have 45 minutes to come. But it's yeah. like, imagine it's almost like being like a role player. Who's just coming in and like, got to come in and make two threes and you've only played two minutes. So yeah. if you come in and you miss the first three yeah, and you're yeah. like, well, how many more shots do I have? I get one <laughs> or two and this could be a, a freaking shit show. So we, you know, when we did Conan, we did Conan in 1999 and it went great. And then we didn't do it for a while. We did it again in like 2011, 12. And we had a set that we loved and we felt really good about it. And we got on the, on the show 
And the jokes, you know, we had tried to set out all over LA. We were doing it everywhere. We get on the, on the TV show that night and that day or evening, and it's not going as well as, as we're used to. And you can feel it in us. And then there was like a weird lighting shift that we didn't ask for. That's in the middle of our set. It was very odd. We walked away and we were like, that was a disaster. We were so upset. Meanwhile, it was like, fine, but it wasn't like amazing. So the last time we did it was the last week before the pandemic. We were the final comedians on his old show. It's like March 9th, 2020. Okay. That's when we do his show. <laughs> and we get on the set and, you know, it's been like, you know, almost a decade since we'd done it and done stand up on it. And I, we were nervous. I was really nervous. Cause I'm like, you only have a limited shot. Yeah. We got out there. We did our first couple jokes and they killed and we felt really good. And we relaxed and breathed into it and took our time. And it was the most fun I've ever had on a show before, but we were definitely nervous beforehand. Like, you know, that that's such, I, I'm so glad you explained it like that. It, that it's not, I think that that's why playing basketball as opposed to like uh, football uh, beside you can get killed in that sport um, <laughs> is that it's rapid. We play every, every day. Also, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many possessions you can redeem yourself like that. That's right. That's right. Um, but there's something to be said because there's a certain amount of nerves before every game, no matter how good you are, you're playing against other people mm -hmm. um, who are really good, but confidence is just such a beautiful thing. And you said when you, you know, you hit nail those first couple of jokes, you kind of both kind of, you could breathe and just, and then now you take, maybe you take a little more chance. Maybe I throw one a little too high trying to hit a home run, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. on an alley-oop, mm -hmm. but it's, it might've worked. It might've worked. So I love it. It was well, well put by you guys. I mean, that was, that was great. And to go back literally to Josh's question at the beginning, the getting that show, the MTV show, we, at the same time, it was like transformative for us because it put us on the map, yeah. but we got it too early. Like we, we, we got the reins too early. We weren't ready. We weren't mature enough. And it lasted for one season. It was a really interesting show. I mean, it had stand-up and sketches and short films in it. I mean, here's who were the stand-ups who did stand-up in the course of the show. Patrice O'Neill, RIP. <laughs> wow. Bill Burr did stand-up on the show. Patton Oswalt did stand-up on the show. Jim Norton. I mean, these are like titans. Wow. All those people did stand-up on the show. And then we had Amy Poehler from Upright Citizens Brigade and Matt Walsh from Veep. Those guys were on the show. Colbert. Stephen Colbert did the second episode character. He played like a British artist guy who was so funny. And, you know, Michael Showalter, who's a wonderful director. Now he played a character. Zach Galifianakis was a regular cast member on the show. It was an insane grief show and it launched a bunch of people and, and it gave us a lot of the, uh, the opportunity, but we just weren't ready for it. And we thought, man, we thought because we were young and the and we were only 25 when it didn't go forward, we're like, well, maybe what if that's the last chance we ever get? If we ever get another chance, right? Here are the mistakes we don't want to make. And so we moved out to LA in 1999. We were, did a couple of guest spots on some shows and came out to LA. We're like, we got to get out of here. If we're going to, we developed a show that didn't go that ultimately, you know, that happens in LA all the time. You develop a show for NBC and Warner brothers and it's going to go. And then it doesn't go. And you just, you don't even make a pilot, but you get paid to do it and write it. And that's good. So then we get in, in the early two thousands, we get the opportunity to do this, ESPN classic show, Cheap Seats, which was like Mystery Science 
Science Theater with the old weird sporting events, cheerleading, dog shows, super dogs. That's the best. The best. It was the best. So much fun. We love doing that show so much that we got the opportunity to do that show. First of all, they're like, do you want to do it in DC? We're like, no, they're like, they want to do it on this, on the side of the PTI sets. Like we already have the studio. We'll just build a little swing set right there. We're like, no, no. no. they're like, then come up and do it in Bristol. And we're like, fuck, are you? No, No, we don't want to be up in Bristol. Well, but in New York and we wound up doing it at the New Yorker hotel. There was right underneath the Hammerstein ballroom, which is right by MSG. Perfect. Literally catty corner from MSG. But like, we're like, we know the New York comedy scene. If we want to bring people in to do sketches and things like that and do stuff on the show, this is it. And we finally got to do and not make the mistakes that we made on the first show, we kind yeah. of corrected all of that. And as a result, you know, there's still things we would do differently. I think we're getting the opportunity to do those things differently now on the nosebleeds. And if we get another season of that or another two seasons of that, we corrected some of the things we were doing in cheap seats. But I think the show stood the test of time because we were able to sort of make those adjustments. You know, it's all about adjust the adjustments you make. I can't uh, believe you all passed the chance of there's so much underground comedy in Bristol. Just a lot of talent there. The Hartford scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What would, what would, I mean, you guys have the most interesting career. The most, it's this niche you've built out that's unbelievable where where you're actors, Mm -hmm. you're hosts, you're comedians, you're in the sports world. You, you you probably dance. I don't know, but you guys. (laughs) Dancing with the Sklars. Let's do that show right now. Let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> what would 11 year old you guys think? I mean, it's the Great perfect, question. it's like, I am, I host, I act, I create, I write people, it's, uh, you know, associate you guys with sports that you mm-hmm. get to talk about all day in so many ways. Like, I mean, way to go. Thank you. That's a great question. What would the 11 year old us say, Jay? That's a great question. It's such a good question. I I don't think the 11 year old us would believe that we would be lucky enough to do this. I mean, it, it does feel like a dream. And Randy and I talk about this all the time. We, we talk about like trying to understand like, what is, what is success and what feels like success to us as we get older, as we've been doing this for a long time, because we really have had, and there are so many sports analogies. We really have had an improbable career. It is, it is, it's kind of unbelievable to, it's almost like being in the NBA for like 22 years without ever being an all-star. And I'm not saying we're not all-stars. I'm just saying if being an all-star means having a hit movie or a long running network television show, like it's almost impossible to be sort of like a journeyman, someone who's been there that long. So you get all the joys and, and, and wonderment of getting to do what you always dreamed of doing. And then also you don't have the trappings that are bad. Like, we're around for our kids as they're growing up. We're involved yeah. in their lives. We're, we've been able to be there at every step of the way. And we get to do what we want to do. So like at the 11 year old, me wouldn't have even understood how great that even weird turn of right. events. Is. And while it's hard sometimes where there's times where we're like, ah, this thing has to come through. And we really are counting on something to come through instead of coming from a place of comfort. It's still been amazing. And I think you know, for us, we, we, we talk about this all the time. There's a great story and I don't, I don't even know if it's true. And I don't even know if I'm attributing it the right way, but it's a great little story about Kurt Vonnegut, great American author. 
and Joseph Heller. Kurt Vonnegut wrote Breakfast of Champions. Joseph Heller, who wrote Catch-22, great American novelist. Supposedly, legend is that they were at a party in the Hamptons at some rich, like, investment Douchebag investor, like, investment banker. <laughs> like, guy's got more money than God, okay? Right? And they're at this giant mansion, and, and Kurt Vonnegut, or Joseph Heller says to Vonnegut, doesn't it piss you off? This guy, this douchebag, this guy makes more money in a week than you made on your last two books that you, that you worked hard on for two years. And you didn't, you know, you, you, you worked so hard on it. You didn't think you were good enough and you stressed out about it and you put your whole life into it. And, and, and it's one of the American classics. It's like something that resonates with people and it goes to everybody. And again, this guy in a week makes more than you made in the entire two years you slaved away and creating something that will stand the test of time. And Vonnegut says, yeah, but we've got something that this guy will never have. And he's like, oh yeah, what is that? And he's like, enough. So there it is. So how can you find what is enough for you that fits with what you're capable of and what you're doing? Or how can you then learn to appreciate what you have? Because that guy who makes more money than God, if you are chasing that and trying to have the biggest house on the street, there's always going to be a house that's bigger than yours. There's always going to be Someone who has a prettier you're gonna you're gonna pull your yacht into the yeah. old bay there, and then there's just gonna be some bigger one right boat. There. Yeah. How come I don't have that? And then your you're, boat you're sucks. Next, you're just gonna be chasing, 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 and not enough. They'll never find enough. If you find enough somewhere along the way, then you then you win. You actually win the game, and you feel better about yourself. And I think that's you know that's what we've sort of the work we've been trying to do and maybe that's out of necessity because we're not overwhelmed with like crazy insane success but we have been able to do the shows we wanted to do we have we did get to create a show that went 77 episodes that people still when they see us say you know what my dad and i used to mm. sit down and watch the show yeah. my dad loves sports and i hate sports but you know the only show we were able to watch was cheap seats or i yeah. or, or glendon rush from the Cubs, the Cubs of all, we're Cardinals fans, the Cubs of all teams. He's like, you know what was on our TiVo? I think that's how old this was. You know what was on our DVR in our clubhouse? In 2005, Harry Wood, Mark Pryor. Like I hated God. those teams because those teams yeah. just killed the Cardinals. They would, And they were amazing teams. You're like, God damn it, the Cubs. You hated them. He's like, you know what was on our TiVo? The only thing on our TiVo was episodes of your show. We'd go in the clubhouses, Cubs, and we just watch your show. God, and they're like, great. come on, man. Aaron Rodgers. I saw Aaron Rodgers somewhere, and he was like, hey, man, where's your brother? And I'm like, uh, he's not always with him. And he's like, you guys, man, cheap seats. Can we take a minute and talk about that? And I'm like, dude, so you're cool. Aaron Rodgers. So that And then you guys it, did ayahuasca, right? Then we did ayahuasca, and we were in a darkness <laughs> retreat for like four days. I'm like, how did I get We're in a sound bath for three days. But I mean, that's just hanging out with Aaron Rodgers. I love Then you want to do sounding, which is sticking this long metal tube. Okay. All oh, right. Kidding. So, um, <laughs> no, no, no. But it was, but those are the moments where we sit back and we're like, dude, those are examples of when you're asking yourself, what is enough? What feels yeah. like enough? Those are those validating, cool moments where you're like, yeah, we did something here and we're going to keep doing it as long as we can. But it's, I would say to my, my 11 year old self would be like, I can't believe we're doing, you guys get to do this. Like, like uh, you built such a wonderful brand. Like anytime I'm on, yeah. see here, the Sklar brothers. I'm like, that's, it just makes your brands great. I'm like, great. Oh, cool. I, I want to see that. And Oh, 
this could might be a dangerous question because maybe we've already asked this. But Let's I'm hear like, it. you guys have um, been interviewed and interviewed and done so much. What's the worst couple questions that people ask you? Like, like that you've always like, I can't believe like yeah. the twin question or, you know, like, do you sleep with each other's wives and fool, you know, <laughs> something like that. Is there, we, we did on entourage. We did on entourage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> did do it there. So we didn't have to do it in regular. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Those, those questions are, are kind of crazy when you think about it, because those questions like, don't take it. Like you guys are, are, I love these questions that in this interview and this conversation, because it's a deep conversation, you guys understand what it takes to get to a certain place. And I think when you talk about our brand, that's a great question there because, you know, I think Jay and I could have very easily, because the simple question of like, did you guys switch on girls? And we're like, no, that's (laughs) rape. Uh, (laughs) And did you guys, did you guys switch on people and that stuff? But even as kids, I would say our eye for what's funny was a little more discerning than that. We're like, well, anyone can do that. What can we do that's different? So we made a conscious choice not to like make our twinness the very center of everything that we do and everything we talk about. And every joke is the joke you expect that the twins are going to do. And we're like, that's just not where we want to go now. Maybe that's the thing that's kept us from meteoric success, or maybe that's the thing that's given us the career that's lasted the longest because you have to be actually good. You know, the best thing we ever saw one time was Seinfeld came in and he did a set of comedy at Gotham Comedy Club. We were performing there. I mean, Jay, how long ago was it? Like 20, 22 years ago? No, probably, probably like. 15 years ago? 15 years ago. 12 or 15 years ago. 15 yeah. years ago. And we're there and he comes in and he of course he we let him of course he just like he just let him go up and he goes up and the crowd in in new york it had been like 10 years removed from seinfeld gets up and gives him a standing ovation now i don't know how many times you've seen a standing ovation but it is impressive every (laughs) time standing o for like three minutes i mean just people basically saying thank you for everything that you've ever done and they sat down and the and the 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 din settles, you know, like everybody's kind of down, like, oh my God, Seinfeld's here. And then he's gotta be funny. Yeah. He can't just be like, remember that episode when Newman did no, you gotta <laughs> you gotta yeah. be funny. And you can't do your old jokes. Yeah. You gotta be funny with the new stuff that's right Topical. there. Yeah. It's got to be new stuff that you're, and it's got to stand shoulder to shoulder to your old stuff or else people will be like, you know, I saw Seinfeld. It's not as funny. And they, and he was, and he was amazing. But like that moment of truth is there. So you can, a gimmick, not that he's a gimmick, but I'm saying in the similar way, like something can get you to, to a certain place, but then ultimately you have to prove it over and over. So that's why I think we chose to be like, this is going to be our brand. Our brand is going to be an interesting style of two man comedy. That is sort of loosely based on the fact that we have this great connection between each other. Maybe it's a connection that most people don't have, but it's gonna be funny first, and the fact that we're twins makes it unique and different second, and hopefully memorable. It's just amazing how you guys you, you do. You tell the same story, you jump in, you cut each other off, you pick right. right up, and you can see that there's no animosity with it. I'm sure there might be most sometimes. Oh no, the same. this is but fun. It, you, you never it you never give it off. I felt like it was such a treat, a gift growing up with twins as best friends. Yeah, awesome. Um, 
because, you know, you see, you know, friends are friends, but there was four or five of us that well, five or six of us that just grew up together from the age of eight or eight all the way through 18, played high yeah. school sports, basketball, all that stuff together. Awesome. I guess talking about thinking about you guys as 11 year olds, uh, you know, we didn't like it when our friends fought. But watching you guys fight <laughs> each other, yeah, hilarious. You could hilarious. do it all day, like hilarious. Could, yeah, maybe just try to get you in a fight. Yeah. Uh, just to, did just you hear what see. he said about you? Yeah, yeah. Bro, he's talking <laughs> did, to you, man. Did your um, friends? Yeah. Uh, did your friends kind of feel that way as well? I think. I think what we're what you're hinting at, truthfully, is. <laughs> So if you see two friends actually get into a physical fight, it is terrifying. And you're like, oh, my God, yeah. this might be the end of the friendship. But I do think you deep down know if you see two twins, your friends, you're like, they're going to get over this. And then tomorrow we're going to be right back here on the field or on the court playing and we'll be fine. There is this sense of like. And I think that is, you know, we know teams and musical groups that have broken up over time because either they couldn't deal with each other's personalities or they couldn't somehow continue to go down this road together. And I don't think there's a fear of that for us, even when like things, you know, things get hard in one of our lives and the other person has to pick up the slack. There's never high end resentment. And I can only say that because I've never picked up the slack. It's only been Randy, but, <laughs> but oh, I, there, oh, there's resentment. I'm no, just but kidding. There's never resentment. <laughs> well, well, there's no, okay. There's tons of resentment, but no one's ever leaving because I do think we have this, this vision of this thing that we've created that we want to keep doing that we do think is unique and special that we think has more room to grow and more things to do. And so the fear of that is not ever present. Like no one's walking into the room every day, threatening to disappear forever. And I think that without that in the, even in the room, you grow and get better and I think that's why you were able to be like, I want to watch these two brothers fight because you know what? They're going to be fine. <laughs> They're going to yeah, be fine. Exactly. They're going to be fine. It's just enjoyable. I mean, it's funny because you talked about that and for the first time, Jay. I'm like, I understand what you're talking about, about both of us having the same goal is very similar to the best sports teams is the buy-in. What is your buy-in to the end goal? Are we all bought into this thing? Because if we are, then we can fight and then get it out of the way. And we're then still on track. It's not like one person is going to be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. My goals aren't your goals. It's like, no, we have the same goals. We're arguing about this one thing that actually shows that we both care about it a lot. You want to see that arguing because it means that it means something to you. Someone's not going to walk away and be like, "Eh, I don't want to do this anymore. So the buy-in is huge. I mean, I see it in sports all the time. It's so funny because we we talk a lot about this on our podcast about NIL changing things and college mm-hmm. sports and will it change things? I would like, look at Texas A&M's football team this year. They spent the most money on NIL and I don't know, 13 of their 24 people that they got last time are transferring out. Right. And the team was maybe sub 500, five and seven, six and six. I don't even know. They weren't even that great. They were supposed to be the greatest recruiting class ever. You're like, the team still matters. The team and buying into this thing and loving the thing that we're all going towards means we can fight. It's going to be okay. I'm all right. I'm all right. If you're yelling at me on the sidelines, it's it's okay because we both want this thing. Gosh, is there so is there, we all have like the best friend and we finish each other's sentences. Yada, yeah, yada, yada. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's intriguing because we can't imagine the depths of what you're not mm. just twins, but then growing up and doing the same thing together, being business team and artist team and 
you, you just can't imagine it. Um, like you get up, get off this, like right now. And one goes, why'd you do that? And the other one will know exactly what, what you're talking about. Do you have, do you have like one anecdote that ex- kind of shows that in some way, like something happened oh. that you guys were like, like that, like, yeah, like blaming each other. I, so we used yeah, to tell not even blaming just like the, the communication that the things you get at the same time that, you know, your brother is understanding at the same time, what you're thinking, like, mm-hmm. Oh, this douchebag or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. And you know, each other do it at the same time. It, it, that, that's gotta be great and annoying. So, so Rex, you talk about growing up with these twins. What are their names? Your friends? Who are well, the it's it, it's Kevin and Keith Vanderpool. I'm glad you asked that because nice. it's Kevin and Keith Vanderpool, which uh-huh. of course became the pools, but it was V pool yeah. before V pools. The V pools. Well, V-pool. but Kevin's Kevin's four minutes younger than Keith, uh-huh. so uh-huh. Kevin is Kevin. Keith is V pool. Kevin is JV pool. Uh, so, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it really, you're old, like solid. Right. What is Who's younger? older? Who's older between? I'm older two? by five minutes. I'm older oh, by five minutes. Eight, Which man. I'm like, yeah. what does that mean? It's just means yeah, well, he was. Well, it's a hell was, of a lot of. A, a, ask any coach down the stretch. You want five seconds to come back? You want five minutes? <laughs> five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> that's true. I think you're just closer to the door on the way out. But whatever. That's my thing. But I, I, you know, you talk about being around the Vanderpool. I, I see it now with the mustache. Right, it's Man, just yeah. He's going through himself. something. He's trying yeah, to make himself, trying to make himself look, look more mature. Look yeah. more mature yeah. and trying to raise myself up that extra five minutes. No, but the <laughs> Vanderpool hanging out with the Vanderpools, you guys were probably in the same place for a lot of really big experiences. You're yeah. like, if if one of the if JV Pool starts talking about a story about something where you guys were all there, V pool can jump right in right at the right exact ahead. moment. And you can finish what they're saying because you were all there. You were all there when this thing happened at this moment in this important time, when you guys were in high school or on the bus back from a basketball yeah. game or what have you. So like, that is what, you know, Josh, you were yeah. referring to too, that like, we do have this thing where that that shared experience growing up at the exact same time, the exact same frame of reference. We have the same parents. We really have a lot of the same friends. We grew up at the same time in St. Louis. It's funny because we know we know actor John Hamm. He grew up in St. Louis. He's a year older than us. We didn't know him when we were kids. He was a year older than us, but he was friends with our next door neighbor because they went to wow. a school together. And but. We are such a closeness with that guy because we grew up in St. Louis at the exact same time. Our, we all listen to the classic rock radio station, KC95, and we can make fun of every single DJ who was on there. Like we know that Ted Drew's frozen custard, if you've ever been to St. Louis, is the greatest frozen custard in the world. But there's also next door to it a Velvet Freeze ice cream place. We're like, why is there another ice cream place? Because... <laughs> Because sometimes the lines are so long that idiots who have never been there are like, I'm not going to wait in that line. And they go to Velvet Freeze. They get what's called the Velvet Freeze runoff. So describing that to John Ham, you're like, okay, so Ham, you're a really good looking guy. I'm sure if like we went out with you at the time, there'd be women all over you. And then there's a moment where people are like, I'm not going to get in that line and they'll come and hang out with us. And you're like, we got the Velvet Freeze <laughs> runoff, freeze. the John Ham Velvet Freeze runoff. <laughs> but like to make that joke to him, you have to have grown up in St. Right. Louis at that time. And that's a shared experience. So like 
sometimes it's not even being like in the exact same room at the exact yeah. same time when it happened, but like there's a closeness that happens. My wife lived in Israel or not in Israel. Why did I say Israel? In St. Louis, <laughs> lived in lived in St. Louis. The years that I was there, her dad opened up the Saks Fifth Avenue store that was at the mall nearby us. And so like she and I bonded when we first started dating about being in St. Louis at that time and the things we went to and the places we went to just immediately made us closer right. because of that thing. And then when you're so, twins, so, that's just heightened so much further. So I agree with that. And I think the other thing is what we've learned how to do. And again, this comes from, you know, it's, it's funny because we describe performing as playing with each other too. Like, like when, when someone lets us come on a show, we're always like, thanks for letting us come play. It is kind of interesting that it is, it's like being in like a pickup game or whatever, but yeah, one of the things you have to do is while you're talking, be listening. And that's a very rare thing. Few people do this on this earth. I think it'd be, we'd be better off as a human race if people actually didn't want to only get their point out. And like, if they felt someone trying to enter the conversation, then that means they have something they really want to say. So listen, finish your point, let them come in trust, trust. So there's a lot of trust that has to go on too, between the two of us. Like if I feel Randy coming in, then I, he's got a point he really wants to make. And I have to trust that it's going to be a worthwhile point. So I back off. If it's not, I can sit there and make fun of him. Like, it is, like take your most racist uncle. Once he starts talking at Thanksgiving, like everybody's like waiting to jump in to get him. So he doesn't say, why do all these people, okay, uh, get the, yeah. like, why do all, and then get him out of there. You know what I mean? You're like, you you don't trust him. You don't trust anything right. he's going to say. You don't trust him to have the microphone. You don't trust him with the ball at the end of the game. You're just like, get it out of his hands. Get him on the bench. Someone like get him out. Set him in the locker room. But for us, we trust. We trust each other. We trust that the other person's coming in with something. And hopefully, if you are in that mode where you're being creative, something that you can build on. So you put this block in, they put that block in. And before you know it, you're climbing together. You just had the greatest moment, I think, of the entire podcast. It's, we've had almost 80 now. We're, we're, we're climbing. Yeah. And, and right when you were like, well, my wife grew up in Israel. What? Why, <laughs> Why did I, did I say that? that? Why did I say that? That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Who said that? Me. I said my wife grew up in Israel. I mean, she grew up in St. Louis. St. Louis and Israel could not be farther from each other. Well, they've always said this. St. Louis, the Israel of the Midwest. (laughs) Well, there is East St. Louis and East Jerusalem. They're both different. That's what you were thinking. That's what you were thinking. Oh, guys. Uh, All right. Before we let you go, um, favorite movies? I hope it's not the same one. Is it the same one? No, no, not. But (laughs) I mean, I, you know, when we were growing up, we were the biggest fans of the movie Airplane. I mean, ever, 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 because it's just silly comedy. And I remember our parents. This is another reason that we were like comedy is important. So we had this. Our uncle lived in Southern California, our dad's brother, and he worked for an appliance chain of stores called Phil and Jim's. And he sent us an early version of a VHS. Like, remember the early ones? Oh, wow. Pop, popped up and came out and you slid it in and popped it back mm-hmm. in. So ours had a remote control. Okay. But it wasn't just a remote control that like you stand up and run. It was connected with a cord. So it like defeats the purpose of a remote control. And <laughs> the cord didn't reach all the way to the couch. So you had to stand, <laughs> you had to stand up like four feet 
away yeah, from the unit. Hold on. Okay. Now the the brand of the VCR was one that we never heard of. Of course, you heard of Sony, Panasonic, all that. It was called Hitachi. Hitachi. Oh, I had a we had a Hitachi. Of so we had a Hitachi. So we of course jokingly called microwave the, Hitachi. Okay, okay, so we had the yeah. Hitachi, the VCR. And we, of course, jokingly called it the Attachy because the thing was attached. attached. (laughs) Go get the Attachy. And so we had this VCR and I don't know how we got this early, like an early version before it was out. It had been in theaters before it was out of Airplane, copy of Airplane. And our parents, our dad, our parents invited like all these people over to come in a group setting and watch Airplane. Now, they had never seen it. Mostly people, oh. and we were laughing so, like when oh, the shit I, hits I the bed, all of it, every little thing of like, yeah. all right, let's get some, let's go get some pictures, and let's go take some pictures, and they all just take photos off the wall. I mean, everything about it, every <laughs> little thing, just killed us, and we're in a room full of people laughing, watching it on a VCR watch party at our house. That was the only movie they ever did it with. They never did it with like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, yeah. you know, Moonraker. Right. Sophie's oh, yeah. choice. Right. right. Sophie's <laughs> choice. Or they didn't do it with Silkwood or they didn't do it with uh, Chariots of Fire. You know what I mean? It yeah. was airplane. airplane. So that, that says something to you as a kid that yeah. like, wait a minute, this is important. Yeah. We don't so invite that people. That's my that. airplane. I loved it so much. And there are just Good. jokes in that that to this day still make me laugh out loud. Yeah. I'm I'm going to say my favorite movie because I've thought about this a lot. In recently, as I'm trying to show my 14-year-old son all the movies that I love, and this is one that I I lament that I can't show him because there's so much drug use in it that like I have to wait until he's older and we can like I can understand it, right? Is Dazed and Confused. And so Dazed and Confused came out in 93, 94, right, Rand? I think 93, yeah. 93. 94. We were seniors in college at Michigan. So and it it was talking about a time that was only like 16, 17 yeah. years earlier. 76. So like, yeah, it was like 16 years earlier. So if you made a movie right now in 23, about like 2007, that's what Days and Confused was at the time it came out. Crazy. But Richard Linklater, the movie he made, the fact that he captured so much, like to me, the detail of showing the moment after the baseball game, before he gets beat up, where they have to shake hands and apathetically say good game good game good game good game game, they say good game to everyone like that moment all the details that he got right and i love the movie slacker i i like that as a as as his first movie but i thought this this movie was it for so many reasons it captured a feeling it puts me in a good mood. I love every part of it. I mean, it launched a million careers. You want to McConaughey was born yeah. on that. In, on ben that Affleck, ben, ben Affleck, Affleck, McConaughey, Joey Lauren Adams, Anthony Rapp. I mean, uh, just incredible actors all the way through. I mean, and it just was this, and, it, and, and in that Parker Posey was incredible. And, yes. and there was this feeling for me as I watched that movie where I'm like, it's funny, but it's not like airplane funny. Cause like not everything is meant to be a joke. It's Austin, Texas. Like it's very Texas. There's a vibe in it that is like 1976 was this moment, this bicentennial feeling. The 70s was sort of like this lost time of like, we didn't know who we were. We didn't have the 60s. There is no time like that now. And there was like this moment where, you know, the end of school 
of a school year meant something to people like kids were just still kids, but they were pushing forward in ways that our kids don't do today. It just, I, I, it's such, as it gets older, it ages so beautifully for me. And it's just this great, and I can't wait till I can share it with him, but I, I do whenever I have a chance, I watch that movie. Fantastic. What about um, front row center, any performer, speaker, anyone uh, dead or alive, you guys get to sit front row center. Oh my God. That's, that's great. I mean, who Jay, who for you? Me. So we got a chance to see, and this guy was like, I mean, a hero to us. A lot of people say we look like young versions of him, but we got a chance to watch him do a question and answer. I would love to go back in time and see him. And we met the other guys. So Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks did the 2000 year old man, which if you go back and watch it, audiences don't really know what to do with it. It's funny. I saw a late night performance. And remember we were talking about that late night performance with Conan and we're like, I don't know if that was that good because there are moments that we think are hilarious that the audience didn't get. I've seen that in like they were on Ed Sullivan or something. And there was like a moment. It wasn't just like smashing out the gates, but it stands the test of time. It's this beautiful thing. I would have loved to have seen the two of them do. I would have loved to have been at a party when they whipped that out. And you say to yourself, okay, because Brooks was so funny. Just every little thing. I just remember after he was like direct, he had just directed the producers. It won an Oscar. He was directing another movie uh, that, and he went and did Dick Cavett's show. He was probably like shooting all day, looking at And then he comes over and he's just got this energy like he just came off the set and he's on Dick Cavett's show. And he tells the story about bringing the Oscar back to his mom, who's not impressed. And it's such a simple story about like she wasn't impressed with the Oscar and he just felt terrible about it. And like it was just him being funny in that way. And I was like, God, I love it. So years ago, a few years ago, and not that long, he he did a screening of Blazing Saddles and a Q&A afterwards and we knew oh the guy, God. guy ran it. This was in Denver. We were doing shows in Denver and he did it in Denver and we were there. And so we went to the thing and then we met him afterwards. We got to shake his hand and tell him he was great. And I met Carl Reiner years before that, but to, to be back in their prime and watch them do it, that to me would have been a phenomenal thing. Jay, who for you? I want to go in a different direction. So uh, late. And also you guys do look a lot like Reiner. Reiner and Brooks. 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 Thank you. Appreciate it. it. All right. I'm gonna find this thing of Mel Brooks. Hold on. I find it. So so I'm gonna say this and uh and this is gonna go in a different direction. Lately, I've been getting so into watching old videos or old clips of the Grateful Dead in the 70s on TikTok, Dead Talk, and all those other things for a chance to see the dead in like 77 when Jerry's voice was great. And he's not like, he doesn't look like he's 60 when he's 40 and like (laughs) his voice sounds good. Like, you know, Cornell 77 is like that so much show. I'm thinking about the Cornell 77 show. And I was like, this is them at their height. Okay. They have, you know, they're they're They understand what their band's concept is. It's super tight. They know what they're doing. They sound really great. They're not so big that you'd be in some giant music hall or a stadium where you can't even feel like you're, there's an intimate moment with them. They're playing all the songs. Everything feels really good. You know, there's a great vibe around the show. Jerry. There he is. (laughs) There he is. There he is. There he is. There's Randy. So, Uh uh, 
so uh-huh. no that vibe so i just think seeing seeing the dead in 77 maybe at that cornell 77 show that famous show or even on that tour to me would would be a worthwhile thing i would say that or i was close to saying bruce springsteen at that time when he was when it was the e street band uh-huh. and they were uh-huh really doing these like long shows where it was fun and like Rosalita, the live version of that came out, but I'm going to, I'm going to say grateful dead. Great call. Fantastic. All right. Real quick. Who's your MVP for the NBA this year? And who do you think wins it all? Who's your MVP? I think Jay, we're going to have a different, uh, we're going to have a different idea about this. Okay. One, two, three, Russell Westbrook. Just (laughs) (laughs) who's who's your MVP, Jay? I mean, like, I love Jokic's game. So I love much. him so much. He's my him. guy. He looks like he shouldn't be playing basketball. He should be like as a like a roofer. Did right. you? Yeah. So he's he's the guy when you when you pull up when you pull up to the Y and you're playing in a pickup game and you're and you're guarding him. Everyone on your team is like, dude, get on him and guard him. And him. Like I am, I'm all over him, but he's just making shots. That guy who has the weird hook shot, but no vertical that he's that guy. So something in me is like, I love how unathletic he is. Meanwhile, yeah. he is very athletic, super athletic. It's like sneaky athletic. And he, I think finally has an opportunity to at least maybe take the nuggets to the finals. And I, and I love Denver. We love it as a comedy city you know, I just, yeah. uh, he's my guy. That's my guy. Uh, and I, he's my vote too. All? Who, who do I think wins it all? I don't know if I can say the Nuggets win it all. I think Boston wins it all because I think they just have that team vibe going right now that I love. So I say Boston and Jokic wins MVP. I'm going to make an outside the box thing. I think your, your champion NBA finals will be the Denver Nuggets against the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid, who I think is the most skilled big man in, in the game today. I think Jokic is a great player, but he certainly doesn't have the same outside shot that Joel Embiid has. And Embiid has to sit there. We were talking about this yesterday on our podcast with our buddy, Brad Morris. Embiid has to sit there every year. He knows he's so skilled. He knows he's as good as he is and watch this other guy get the MVP trophy. Every oh yeah. Right. And it's like, it's not going to change. They're like the same age and beads going to be great for the next 10 years. And so is this guy's going to be great for the next 10 years. So to me, that would be such an unbelievable finals. I'd love to see it go seven games and I'm going to pick the 76ers to win. Wow. I like it. I like it. I, I, it you know, it's interesting. We talk about on, on here every once in a while, we talk about athleticism because we've had some of the greatest shooters in the history. We've had Steph, we've had JJ Reddick, we've had, yeah unbelievable shooter and, 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 and Steve Kerr. And mm-hmm. we always ask him like, when did you know, like, when did you go up to your mom and say, how come I've never lost at darts? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah, like, right. like right. and I is absolutely yeah. uh, athleticism, but we only yeah, yeah. think of running. But when you say with uh, Jokic, it's like, he's also, he, he can see, he reads it. He reads it. He makes the right play. And he always does it. And and the great guys that all have that, you know, LeBron, the people that the great that just see it differently. That's is that just yeah, but some sort of athleticism. But it's like it's like it's like go ahead. Special awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's but LeBron is not of this earth. Like if you were to just. Put LeBron and just stationary, make him stationary and create a mold out of his body yeah. and put it as a statue in a Greek 
you know, mm-hmm. art, art history, you know, put it in a museum. That would be like a person like people. That, if you looked at it in the future, you'd be like, people didn't look like that, did they? Yeah. Jokic is of this earth. Yes, he's seven yeah. feet tall, but he Ooh. is like guy who looks like he is of this earth it's like but if i think yeah. but i think Jokic see you know how when you look at a magic eye photo remember those old magic eye photos it was a bunch of just like images images and you stare at it long enough and then the oh dolphins, yeah yeah the dolphins come forward yeah. i think Jokic looks at the court and sees the dolphins 12 seconds before you do bit of a beautiful Great. mind Beautiful right, mind, right, yeah. He Nicely knows, done. Do you think he knows? Ten, I bet he knows tendencies of players. So he's like, "All right, that oh, yeah. guy there is going to go for the steal if I go that way. So I'm going to fake to get him off backdoor cut. It's in. He's three steps ahead. I also feel test. like he's. I also feel like he his his uh, in and hear me out here. His ability uh, to be slower. He's playing. He's not slow. He's not too slow no but he's fast enough just mm-hmm. fast enough to be almost under more control than everyone else a la steve nash mm-hmm. um we're just playing at a different speed chris mullen uh jeff hornacek yep i, I would over, use my athleticism too much against those guys because that's those are normally the guys you're playing against that's right luca luca del curry Slow than fast. It's like a pitcher like Greg Maddox, who who didn't overpower you, but he threw changeups and he threw, he kind of just could, if he changed the speed from like 79 to 85, he could still make you swing and a miss. He couldn't overpower you, but you just didn't have your timing up. Um, I love you guys. I have to go pick up my kids. We talk about picking up kids and and being part of their lives. I could talk to you guys for five hours. I mean it. I thank you for doing this. Thank you, you guys, so much. Kudos yeah. to your mom and dad. Uh, they did an amazing job. You know, as parents, we don't ever know what we're doing. We do good things, bad things. Uh, my parents raised me on airplane, on Monty Python. Yep. And the first thing our rated movie they ever took me to see was History of the World in Mel Brooks. And it changed my life. So I appreciate your mom and dad. Much love to the Scar, Scar uh, parents. Thank you so much. Much love to your parents. I do Thanks, feel like buddy. if we had grown up in the same place, we would have we would have been friends growing up. We would have been would your have. other twin friends. That, that's my dream. <laughs> Agreed. Thanks, buddy. Josh, the Sklars. I, I mean, I didn't want it to end. Obviously, they had to run <laughs> us off. I know it. That was they fun. had to run us off. You can see why they are. I hope they, I hope they, that they we do find everything. Out. I hope that we find out that they were texting each other while that happened and they, they set up the frozen screen. So they're like, oh, okay, yeah. we got to go pick up the kids. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. yeah. yeah did, they, did, they got us. That was great. Yeah. I could have talked to them forever. First of all, just the twin thing. It's so cool. Uh, the Hollywood stuff is so cool. The hosting is so cool. Sports. I mean, yeah, I could have talked to them for a week about yeah. just a myriad of subjects. Yeah, and you know how hard it is. Um, uh, anybody going and kind of forging a different path that they haven't seen, you know, they didn't see their parents as actors or comedians or anything like that. Yeah. They taking yeah. that chance to do it. Yeah, they didn't go to Hollywood it, High. Yeah, but then doing it, and then you still have to be good in front of the camera and natural <laughs> i mean and they are it's yeah, it's amazing yeah they're they're really particular 
yeah. in this, this wonderful way. Are, and you talked to them and shared experience stuff they were talking about. You know, we grew up, we're all similar age. We all get pretty much everyone's sports references. Uh, I you know. feel like you know them when you, when you get on with them, even for the first time. I thought about saying to them how unique our relationship is in that I knew you. And you didn't yeah. know me. Yeah. And I uh, have these shared experiences of me watching I know. you. But we also grew up in the same state at the same time. Right. And so now, once we did get to know each other, we became such good friends because we laughed at the exact same, that we remember yep. the same exact thing. We know each other's stories. Yep. You know, yep. for the most part. And now, oh. and now our moms are best friends. That's right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. That just warms my heart. I I, it, I feel bad for them that we probably won't be around and they'll still be alive and kicking. <laughs> no, uh, um, buddy. All right. That was fun. Let's do it again next week. Yes, sir. All right, man. Join us next week back here once again for the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lextown, Josh Hopkins, powered by basketballnews.com.